0: Hermione, I've been doing some reading in the restricted section, and I found the most marvelous book. It was something written by Josh Carum. And Aaron Thompson. The Dungeons and Gatherers Podcast. <laughs> Hey everybody! Thanks for tuning into the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Aaron and Josh here, and we just like Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering. But today we have a a magical topic, shall we say? Today we are looking at the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. So a Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering mixed together theme today.
1: Mm, a beautiful campaign source book for the world's greatest role playing game. Just read that off the book. Um, <laughs> you know.
0: It sounded so natural. If it's if lit. I if, so, if I didn't so have organic. it in front of me, I would have <laughs> believed that it was like, Oh wow, Aaron's writing reviews now. This is great.
1: Don't you know it?
0: The the first thing that I wanna address is that I'm newer to magic than Aaron. But it's true. Over this year have been like it was my quarantine addiction. I was like, Oh, now I understand why people love this. Like, I need to buy all the cards i can and just get into this we're getting pumped because later in 2021 we're gonna have the dungeons and dragons set in magic the gathering mm-hmm. so this is all hype
1: oh so much hype yeah this book has been out for a few years now i think it was published in 2018 And so, it's been a long road coming. Yeah, as you can hear the ASMR of me flipping through my book.
0: Sadly, I have a PDF form of the book, so there will be no uh, page flipping
1: on my end. No ASMR for you. Yes, copyright 2018.
0: One of the big things, and I feel as though I want to start asking you questions about it, because uh, recently, Aaron DM'd a campaign in the Ravnica universe. Just a one-shot. A one-shot, yes, sorry. A one-shot, and it was a blast, but... The big oh, thing that was getting me is that we were all different guilds. Like, I played a, a Boros Eldridge Knight, and somebody else played a Rakdos guild member, and there was an Orzhov in there and a Selesnya. And I I got to ask you, Aaron, as a DM, how do you manage the craziness of creating a party of people that are in guilds that some of them are just like never work with the other one?
1: Because, like, the main allure of, of the Master's Guide to Ravnica, I think, is the opportunity to play as all these different guild people, right? And they give you options in the book to say, like, here's how a party of, like, Azorius people plays, right? And they give you a couple options, too, for, like, how to run a mixed campaign or, a, like, a mixed party like that. When I first pitched the idea to everybody, everybody immediately wanted to be from a different guild. The minute there was one player who was about to also be a Boros, a Boros Legion, Person. Oh, I didn't know that Yeah, yeah, yeah Rachel was almost also in the Boros League Or the Boros Legion And then she found out that you were gonna do that And she's like, well, we can't double dip Which is <laughs> sort of funny That, like, even though this would be a perfect campaign setting To have everybody be in the same thing Like, that's exactly the opposite of what we wanted to do It strengthens the core issue that a lot of D&D groups have Is that, like, this is a group of separate adventurers Who all come from different places And want different things, right? Right? So it's the same problem we always have whenever your adventuring party meets in the tavern, right, in session one. And that, like, how do you get them all to be invested in what in what the campaign is and in each other, right? And so I, when I was thinking about all the different guilds, the woman who was going to play in the Boros League ended up playing the Selesnia Conclave. And I was like, shit, they're pacifists. Like, how do I get them to be involved in in whatever this whole world is going to be because there are still peace, love, and, you know, like, nature's the way, right? Definitely. So, but then I was reading it, and the Celesnia is, like, oddly militant in the way that they're ever vigilant, which is featured in a lot of the Celesnia cards, right? You have the Vernadi shieldmate who has vigilance. Like, vigilance is a thing that Celesnia like, cares for in the card game itself. Hmm. And then to bring that into the Dungeons & Dragons world where they're they're trying to maintain peace at all costs right so they're always monitoring for whenever things start to go awry so that they can nullify any potential threat immediately so they're actually sort of like a sleeping dragon type of type of guild not all like peace and flowers (laughs) (laughs) so when i was looking at that i was thinking that like mainly all of the guilds want the same thing they all want control of ravnica To be able to do, you know, whatever their guild goal is, right? How they go, what they do after the fact is sort of a different thing. But they ultimately all want to have power and influence in the world around them. And so what I ended up doing was creating a situation where all of the different guild members of my party felt like they had a stake in what was going on, right? So it ended up, who knows, because it was just a one-shot, but as all good one-shots, it was subtly open-ended so that maybe if anybody wants to play ever again we can tap back into it but I um, love
0: Ravnica too much it's oh, it, it will happen so i promise you it will happen
1: thank you so there's like a secret organization right that's doing something and that's doing something quite nefarious and it impacts multiple guilds right it's not just it's not just a guild squabble it's not like the simic combine is fighting with I don't know the azorius senate and like that's it right because in our climactic fight we have representation from the is it league the selesnia conclave the boros legion and the azorius senate are all under the influence of another power that's using them against each other and so in that way you sort of have to find a common enemy and then the ultimate goal is as as this party of adventures keep working against a common enemy eventually they'll be placed in situations where they need to protect each other, right? Where they need to recognize that their own group that they've formed is also important to their survival the same way that their individual guilds are.
0: To have seen a a Boros Legion man coming against me, I was like, what?
1: Boros? (laughs) Yeah, that's how you know that, that shit's really sideways, right? That, like, there is something much bigger than just regular guild squabbling going on. And similarly like yeah in the in the book it gives you how each guild feels about each other guild and that i think is a really good jumping off point but it also lacks the nuance of every player and every character right is more than just the guild that they are assigned to everybody comes into that guild with from a different background right Definitely. or from like a different perspective which, like, when we're looking at guild backgrounds as such a, a really interesting background mechanic. Oh, I love it so much. I think, which we'll talk about right after this, I promise. I want to pivot to it. You have to acknowledge, too, that, like, you're more than just your guild, right? And so then, like, within your guild, you have your own values that can make you more or less aligned with people from other guilds, right? And it's about playing up those those things. And so this was a group of people that were really invested in making sure that, like, they kept their station right, that they kept exactly where they were supposed to be in relation to everything else going on in Ravnica. So if you put something in that jeopardizes the status quo, then that's going to cause people to rally together.
0: Definitely. And also, if if we can, uh, just flip to any background that you oh, would please. like within your uh, guide. Yes. I'm looking at Boros because if I haven't
1: mentioned on the podcast already,
0: I have such a love and please give me more boros cuz i i'm constantly building new boros just commanders just a
1: simple simple boros man
0: i just want to think it's more than equipment card draw but it really is just equipment card draw is <laughs> all that boros is for commander but that's that's a story for another time that's we don't have later to get into day. it but just even within the background the fact that it seeds you with a non boros contact or mm-hmm. a non demir contact or whatever guild you're part of yeah I liked uh for for when I was playing my character, I I involved a Rakdos blood witch into my plotline, and I think it just you can't get anywhere with a campaign of multiple different guilds if all the guilds are just like, oh, we're mm-hmm. we just work for our guild, and there's no other content we have outside our guild because then for a one shot nothing would happen, but it would take episodes in a campaign to finally be like, wait, you're like me.
1: Hmm. Right. Yeah, I think the only district that mostly is just made of one guild is the third precinct that the Conclave is in. Because it's just Grand Pastures. Yeah. But even then, occasionally you get, like, gruel people in the north, right? So it's like, you have to recognize that this is a... The whole plane is a city, right? And so it's like, we're just looking at one district out of it. Yeah, everybody has enemies and allies and contacts between other guilds and within your own. And, uh. I love the renown system. It's not something that I usually play with in other campaigns and it's not something that we got into in the one shot. But the idea that like there is a system that you can climb within each of your, you know, within your guild that will award you different things. So that way like as you grow, you're not just like you know, it's like you also accrue power and influence, which is which is like almost like currency in Ravnica.
0: Yeah. I think it's it's also great cuz Don't get me wrong, in the player's handbook, I love, you know, picking a background and everything. But with the backgrounds in the Guildmaster's Guide, it is more solidified that these backgrounds will come back. You are doing Mm -hmm. something that is not just, oh, I was a soldier that fought in a war uh, 20 years ago, and here's my little signet, and maybe it'll get me into places. Like, your background will constantly be impacting you the entire time
1: yeah your background is like a crucial part as opposed to some people just use backgrounds based on what proficiencies it will give them
0: totally like it's like oh i'm gonna be a sailor just to get athletics and that's it there's no i but it's did like, pick I guess sailor it was just
1: to get perception i want you to know <laughs> josh for my inquisitive rogue, I said I need perception, so I will be a sailor, and thus my character was born.
0: <laughs> to be fair, though, you've done a great job
1: incorporating the pirate. Thank you.
0: If you're okay with me calling you oh, a pirate yes. in front uh, no, of I'm a pirate. everyone on the internet.
1: Please, yes. <laughs> you're a pirate. So, oh, I'm a totally <laughs> a pirate. 100%. Make no bones about it. I am a pirate. Also love that every background, sorry, to bring it back around to the background. Dang. Every background gets an expanded spell list. I think that's awesome. Because the magic world is so incredibly magical.
0: Being a Eldridge Knight and able to cast Guiding Bolt, I didn't get to do mm-hmm. it in the one shot. But that was like one of my favorite things. Like I get to be use Guiding Bolt and not be a cleric. Oh, it's so cool. Oh. Or like
1: you can be, I have a character drawn up because one day I'd love to be a player in Ravnica. That's um, an Azorius Order Cleric, Ooh. and they get Counterspell. Oh, that
0: is so cool. And I like, love that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Technically, they're, they're my multi-class. That's, I take two levels in Abjuration Wizard and then the rest in Order Cleric, so then I still get access to Counterspell and Shield and stuff. But yeah, I get those cool Wizard spells, but I also get to keep doing the Cleric thing and still get Counterspell to make it all worthwhile. <laughs>
0: I love th- and you know, again, this this'll go into a, a Tasha discussion that will uh
1: For sure. Just obviously. just hang out
0: for the next week and you'll be able to hear that. Ooh. But it's it's so cool that Not only is this introducing magic and great backgrounds, it's also playing into the fact of allowing classes to do more than just the class can do. Mm -hmm. Like having a fighter that can cast Guiding Bolt or a cleric that can counterspell. I'm a basic person and just want to play a cleric all the time. I'm like, oh, spiritual weapon. I want to play spiritual weapon because I love that spell so much. Mm -hmm. When things open up, like uh, the paladin with the conquest, it's like, oh, this is great i don't have to use this for just one spell or one feature
1: yeah it lets your party be much more flexible
0: whenever i get a D &D book i do a quick skim through look at the pretty pictures and see the class features Mm -hmm. like to be fair (laughs) but i'm really happy like i sat down and read through this because the amount of just the unknowns that this answers is great and I always go to the uh, towards the end of the book.
1: Oh please, yes, I will. T- I will turn
0: any of the pages with the adventure hooks. It develops so much of what you could be doing, and however, I do understand that these are mostly for single
1: guild parties that you create. I mean, it doesn't have to be right.
0: Oh, that's a good point.
1: Because I'm looking at like let's say um, a precognitive mage has foreseen the character's future struggles and tries to protect them, thereby interfering in their next adventure. That could happen to you guys um, in your next session. Oh, that's a good point. In fact, I think it might. <gasps> that's funny. I read that one because that's that's my like my next lead-in. Spoiler um, alert! That. I know. <laughs> spoiler alert for all of you listening.
0: Uh, can you uh, demire me quickly and erase that memory from? I the, will. Uh, yes, okay, for
1: thank sure. You which is so cool. Um House Demir, wow. I was always sort of wondering about how Demir actually functions like in the in Ravnica because like they are a spy guild, right? So like they couldn't operate just out in the open and be like, hello, here's your spy shop. Like, that's us, yeah. we're spies. <laughs> and they have a really cool thing in their background that's like some, like, demure pose as either other guild members or as guildless. And it's sort of like a secret society, sort of akin to a thieves guild, right? It's just like, yeah, they're sort of like the nameless and faceless. And this really cool thing I read is that um, they often will erase their own memories after they do a job, So that if they get captured, they won't remember anything.
0: Funny enough, I was going to use the term, I love how they're sleeper agents. And in a way, Ah, it's almost like they're falling asleep to the actions that they commit. Mm -hmm. But it's so great. And if, if I could just segue a little bit with just encode thoughts as a spell. Oh, yeah. I'm so happy that this book, and I know it's been out for a while, but I'm so happy this book introduced a way to allow a player to disturb their own memory hmm because I always hate when people are like oh I'm trying to th- uh, my brain is freezing here but like spells that allow you to read other people's thoughts
1: oh yeah or like modify memory or yeah
0: it's like well okay I'm gonna have to tell them what's going on in this head like I love mm-hmm. how the demir can just be like oh no but uh, my thoughts yeah sure these are my real thoughts but no Dude, these I... are
1: my real thoughts like I don't I don't remember the thing that you are looking for I think it's, it's so cool it's so that. incredibly frustrating as a player. Um, but Oh, definitely. And you guys bumped into that too. You're like shook down this guy and he's like I really don't know anything. Like yeah. they passed all their insight checks but like he didn't he was just a simple dock worker who remembers nothing.
0: So, hey, if I could just say it right now, Demir Guild doing a great job adding some great ways to like mess with insight checks
1: mm-hmm. in D. Oh yeah.
0: I Deception is so fun.
1: The Zone of Truth spell now is, like, flipped on its head if you're messing around in Demir for too long. It also, for me, as someone who's, like, planning out this adventure, right, which clearly has, like, memory modification, like, all throughout it, it's like, is there a way that people can regain their memories once they're lost, you know? So, like... It just opens up so many cool avenues.
0: And it also, I know that D&D, you know, builds on top of itself and adds twists, but this this book almost feels like a magic set coming out because with every new magic set, it, like, breaks a rule in the last magic set. Mm-hmm. So it's like, zone of truth. Uh, 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 I've got my counterspell card say right. for example to that now and I think it's it's just so magic the gathering universe to create a book <laughs> that gives me that
1: feeling something that says like I know in the last series I really built up this thing but now check this out um, I want to look at creatures because obviously oh we have um, to right we must so Simply many cool must. creatures so many cool creatures and and get to get to see some cards that I absolutely love become giant fierce dragons that can concentrate on two spells. Um, I'm looking at you, Niv-Mizzet. Like, (gasps) yeah, amazing. Yes, Niv-Mizzet is a challenge rating 26 who gets to concentrate on two spells at the same time, and he has advantage on saving throws to maintain concentration on them. He's just like, cool, man. And he can, similar to something in Tasha's, he can change the damage type of any spell that he does between Cold, Fire, Force, Lightning, or Thunder. Oh, very good point, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just to get to see these cards that I've played with now become, like, actual creatures and, like, read their stats and see how some things sort of, like, transferred over, I think is so cool. Agreed.
0: As you know, for me, one of my oldest commander decks is a Lazav. uh, Yes. The Multifarious commander, which, uh, don't get me wrong, and the campaign we play, Lazav, uh, you know, his his essence uh, reminates within around. our world. Yeah, yeah. his
1: likeness is there.
0: But it's, I am so excited because seeing the cards become d d monster stats, I cannot wait for our classic d d monsters to become cards
1: right.
0: within magic. You see, like, I mm-hmm. want to see a Tiamat. I gotta be real. I want to see like a... A five-color Tiamat legendary creature, like something right. crazy like that.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking about oozes. I'm thinking about all sorts of things. Isn't
0: it so – oh, it's so cool. If I could – but to, to talk about the book, of course, just, just as a, like, you know, fun little opinion – Besides Niv Mizzet, is there another creature in particular that you really love? What this book? Um.
1: Oh, I love. This is a little bit of an aside, also, but I, cause I also love the Simic Combine. They're one of my favorites. Mm. Blue green, favorite also, color combo,
0: greatest commander combo. Green and blue are the best colors in
1: mm-hmm. commander, in my opinion. So, but they have a whole section about crises, right? Making a crisis. Yeah. And that they are so incredibly customizable, cause in like a crisis is like I read the about the cards that were crises, right? Hydroid crisis is a favorite card of mine, but I never quite fully understood what it is, or and I guess it's because it can be a lot of things. As I read the book, right, and you can have them in different categories that are like they get bigger and badder and have more cool genetically modified stuff about them. I think yeah, that's really cool to see that come to life.
0: Oh God, I if if I could talk, may uh. You already knew this was coming. I just want to talk about Rakdos for a second, if I can.
1: Oh, you have to.
0: I know that, like, challenge rating, you know, it's a high, it's a 24 challenge rating for him. So clearly you have to be a higher level. But when you read abilities and forget, like, because you're not always playing a character with a high uh, level in game, you're just like, that's impossible. Like, captivating presence on page Mm -hmm. uh, 247 here. Like, when you read that, you're like, oh no, we can't stand next to Rakdos at all. He's going to charm us. It's pretty cool. And again, I, I go on about this all the time. Like, I love when Rakdos is more than just the card art where he's just this huge fiery redeeming. Mm-hmm. He is a charming, cunning, sadistic
1: right. devil. No, he's got all the persuasive powers of any good cult leader.
0: He's just so and I, I'm glad that this D&D stat block is just he's a charming guy. He's like, really. you might not be able to fight him. He's just that charming. You wouldn't mm-hmm. expect that from a giant, fiery demon. But, yeah, I don't think I could fight him. He's too... He's, he's, too he's seductive. He's too charming. Yeah. Oh, Rakdos, I, I oh. did not mean to swing that at you. Oh, my... I could go on about angel stat blocks all the time. Oh, of course. I'm you a, and your angels. I'm yes. a sucker for angels. And I play uh, mono white in Arena, which I know, mono color, one of my basic or something. But <laughs> what?
1: The only what? mono worth playing is mono blue. Fight me. Don't don't fight me. I also like mono green. <laughs> well, I was
0: about to say, it's mono blue. I can't fight you because you would counter anything I, that I would Every put single up.
1: thing gets bounced and countered. You're right.
0: It's I I always get so mad. I, it's it's right. That's the enraging point, right? If you play someone with mono mm-hmm. blue and you can't get a single thing oh, out. Oh, it's
1: terrible. It's awful. And then like you'll do it to me for one game and I'm like this is the worst day of my life. This is the worst day of my life. <laughs> I played This is what I do to people.
0: I played a Demir Mill deck and it was all counterspells and I was like and mm-hmm. every counterspell was a mill card. So it was like this is terrible. This is a nightmare right now. And if you're listening to this podcast, you know who you are.
1: You know. You know who you are. You know what I you am taught. you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You've taught me that my mutate spells do nothing.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. I love that for me. So there's one other thing I want to talk about. Another Please. legendary creature slash just general flavor for characters thing, the appearance of sphinxes, which are all over Magic the Gathering, but True. sort of not very prevalent in Dungeons & Dragons but one of my favorite creatures because they are one of the most intelligent and sentient monsters that you can fight, right? Along the lines of, like, dragons and beholders, right? So, and to get to add Sphinx to the language table, now I'm thinking, like, oh, what characters should speak Sphinx, you know? Like, it's it's very cool. And the fact that they are so unlike dragons, right, except for Niv-Mizzet, that so often don't work with humanoids, Sphinxes are, like, they're sort of, like, in it you know. True. And and when you look at blue decks that often don't get a lot of big creatures, right? especially if you're playing the more like mind mage Jace type. Oh totally. You know you're gonna want some sphinxes. Because unless you're doing like the Kiora side of blue which is like leviathans and stuff.
0: <laughs> well also to be fair the Kiora side of blue is you can have no other important card and just Mm-mm. get Kiora on the field because
1: I won't lie. You mean are... Kiora best the sea god? Yeah. Few times. Yeah. Screw you. <laughs>
0: Few times that I have ever had that card played against me, and anything has changed.
1: It solidifies your victory.
0: It's done. It's over. Not only do you get I've the hex. I've been
1: losing. I've been, like, hard losing, played that card, and then turned it around. It's a little bit much. If I could
0: share into our personal life of Magic the Arena, what I'll do is I have a mutate deck with two creatures that allow me to exile permanents and then play it. So it's awful. What I always hope for is when I mutate, that card is on the top of the deck, so it'll just play without me paying the mana cost, which is the best. That's-
1: oh, that is nice. Yeah, because it is- it's pricey. I think it's 7 isn't Yeah, it?
0: it's seven mana
1: hmm
0: And then, you know, hey, mutate decks. Go Ikoria. M- no. Okay. F- one day for no
1: reason, I'm so anti Akoria.
0: Aaron, I'm going to have to have another guest on and do Ikoria. And then you, and can-, you can do
1: Ikoria. That's And I was going to say,
0: you should then have a podcast where you talk about uh, the uh, Golgari guild.
1: Oh. Because you oh, know my- I forgot. The Crawl Harpooner. You my- know my absolute hate. favorite card. Hate I hate Golgari. <laughs> I love the crawl. Unpopular opinion, crawl one of my absolute favorites. I wish they were a playable race, and that's my one thorn. If we're talking roses and thorns about the Guildmaster's guide is you won't let me be a crawl. Aaron, it's funny Coward. you say
0: that though. Because you are quite a magic expert, if I may say oh, so. Oh,
1: wow, you flatter me.
0: And you are also a very big D&D builder. Yes. You always have ideas for what a character in Magic, or Planeswalker in particular, like putting Nyssa on a card, or...
1: I've uh... been scrying, and I think I know what segment is coming up.
0: So we're gonna introduce a little new segment here. This is Ral Zarek's Class Lightning Round.
1: Here we go. I got
0: a couple names here. Basically, how the game's going to work. I'm going to name off a couple cards. And if you want to at home, you could look up these cards. Maybe we could put a link in the description to each of these. Whatever's better. Oh, for sure. Just so people could click on it and see the art. I'm going to name a couple cards here. And Aaron, your job is to name Class... Of what mm-hmm. you think this would be subclass, but, and you could even go further with it if you want to.
1: Whatever comes to mind, if I'm going to make this card into a D and D character. Exactly. I have no promises that these are going to be good. They're just going to be whatever comes to mind.
0: And that's that's okay at Ralz Eric's house because this is just a quick lightning
1: round. Yo, it's the lightning round. Ralz Eric, don't give a fuck. Are you ready? I was born ready.
0: Okay, here we go. Brineborn Cutthroat.
1: Oh, the Brineborn Cutthroat is a um, the assassin rogue.
0: Savage Gorger.
1: Death Cleric. Final answer.
0: Crawl Harpooner.
1: Crawl Harpooner is a gloom hunter ranger mixed with fighter, so it gets the polearm fighting style.
0: Ooh, that was good. All right.
1: I love the Crawl Harpooner.
0: You're going to hate me. Vampire of the Dire Moon.
1: Vampire of the Dire Moon. How dare you? It's interesting. There's not enough classes in my mind that deal with, like, besides the spell Vampiric Touch, you don't get a lot that get to be vampirish, And this is for a a later episode, too, where we talk about this. But I think the Vampire of the Dire Moon is probably a shadow sorcerer.
0: Ooh, I like that. Okay, final one. This is going to be—this is a little tricky one, okay? Wall of Runes.
1: The Wall of Runes uh, is an abjuration wizard, similar to if I was going to make Teo the shield mage. Definitely abjuration. Ooh, I like that. abjuration, yeah. If
0: I can ask, would you agree that it would be a warforged as well?
1: Oh, probably a warforged, and uh, now I'm thinking about it, and I kind of want to add in um a bit of the clockwork soul sorcerer. I know that's like a really bad multi class, yeah, but I think that like the combination is really cool. Or you could even make it like the the new scribe wizard from Tasha's, right? If you're talking about like literature. Runes, right?
0: I didn't think the Wall of Runes would bring up so many ideas, but I love
1: that. I love the Wall of
0: Runes. (laughs) I love it so much. The Wall of Runes is a classic. We Mm -hmm. we cannot disregard. Cannot
1: forget Wall of Runes. I think I feel good about most of those. Maybe not all in combination with each other, but I think there's some good seeds there.
0: I think it, honestly, I now want to build a Warforged, uh, possibly Clockwork Soul, but Probably not.
1: Uh, Probably not. But even like play no, around with creating a clockwork soul would be cool as a warforged, I think, because they literally have a clockwork soul.
0: Oh, that's a good point.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. ooh, oh, <laughs> oh Aaron, oh.
0: I didn't think the wall of runes would spur the best ideas. I'm like I'm like in love with this wall of runes idea. <laughs> Speaking of wall of the runes and magic, Aaron, is there anything else uh, we should bring up about uh, Guildmaster's Guide?
1: There's only one other thing, and that anytime there's a Magic um, d d crossover, everybody's always thinking about Planeswalkers, right? Right as we leave our Roseric lightning round, we're going to have a different video. Video, lol. We're going to have a different episode about making Planeswalkers as playable characters, because I think that translates really well. But the question is always, as you're building your campaign in Ravnica, like... Where do you place it in terms of history? Right? Does has the War of the Spark happened? Is there a new Guild Pact? Is Jace the Living Guild Pact? If so, where <laughs> is Jace? How do you deal with all of this? Because like, I think about this all the time because my favorite Planeswalker comes from Ravnica. Where mm. is Ralzeric? Does he exist in your world?
0: Please message Aaron privately to let him know that
1: that that is. <laughs> Please let me know, Wizards of the Coast. We, I need to know.
0: We need Aaron needs this information. <laughs>
1: For personal reasons, I I need it. Yeah. <laughs> personal, very professional reasons. Ral is Ral, Ral is Ral, and and that's good enough for me. Yeah, I think that's I think that's my parting thought. What's up with those planeswalkers? Where are they? Does this open the door for player characters being planeswalkers?
0: You know, it's funny because. That is the s- the title for a player. Yes,
1: true. In Magic, they do start every book with, you are a Planeswalker.
0: So it feels though it needs to happen, right? Like, it's gotta, yeah. we gotta get this crossover. So,
1: who's to say? But I think it's cool.
0: Well, thank you guys for tuning in to our Magic Slash D&D talk today. We will be back next Tuesday. But in the meantime, be sure to follow our Twitter at d Gatherers. And tweet about the show using hashtag DungeonsandGatherers. And just remember Sora, to defeat the darkness, you have to subscribe and like the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Yuh-huh.